Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Ready Yeti membership. We've grown to have thousands of products from some amazing up-and-coming brands. Anything from skis and snowboards, jackets, hiking boots, even supplements and snack bars. It's an incredible way to save a ton on gear with discounts of up to 50% off. Join the Ready Yeti membership and do your part to help support some of these incredible small businesses that aren't just making incredible gear, but are also putting a lot of effort into social action and doing their part to create an environmentally conscious business. Join today at www.readyyeti.com members and start supporting these amazing startups and saving a ton on gear. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to give a special thanks to our sponsor, RoofNest. RoofNest makes hard shell rooftop tents that allow you to camp anywhere you can park, completely redefining car camping and turning your trips into an entirely new experience. Outside Magazine even listed them as one of their top gear picks. Whether you're into overlanding or easy weekend getaways, a RoofNest will turn any vehicle into a comfy bedroom on wheels. So how does it work? Well, the beauty of RoofNest is it's all one piece. All tents attach right to your vehicle's roof rack and come with a built-in foam mattress. And once you have it in place, it takes less than a minute to set up or stow away, which means you'll be able to get outside faster and spend way more time doing the things you love. I mean, that's why we're here in the first place, right? They just launched their newest model, the Condor XL, which is a hard shell fold-out tent perfectly suited for up to four adults. Or two if you like your space. Hey, I get it. I like the sprawl out too. And definitely check out the Falcon. It's their most popular tent by far. It's only six and a half inches tall when it's closed, and it's perfect if you want to carry additional gear or your favorite toys with the optional set of crossbars that mount to the top of the tent. I'm looking right at you, skiers, snowboarders, bikers, and kayakers. The Falcon is the one that you're going to want. Check them out at RoofNest.com to see the great variety of tents RoofNest offers or call 855-887-8897 to speak with a RoofNest team member. What is going on, Ready Eddie Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, host. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with one of the founders of Pale Blue Earth, Tom Bishop. Tom, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Happy to, Josh. Thanks for your time as well. Definitely. All right. So for the listener that may not be familiar with Pale Blue Earth, how would you best describe your brand to them? Uh, we are, you know, operationally a lean startup. We're, uh, you know, a couple years into this, but in uh, in the early, early days still, I would say. Um, we are trying to catalyze a larger change beyond what we're um, bringing to the market. We're trying to put an end to the single use battery market. Um the way that uh, maybe if we can all think back to incandescent light bulbs, that went the way of LED and the more efficient solutions. We're trying to do the same, same sort of thing in the, in the single-use battery space by bringing a better solution for uh, the rechargeable batteries that we all want to use, but uh, are currently uh, not all yet there. So That's interesting. So tell me a little bit about your, your background, your upbringing. Uh, what really led you to the point of starting Pale Blue Earth? Oh, we could go go deep on this one or go shallow. Uh, let me go, let me go deep for for a, a minute. Uh, I found my earliest community uh, as a kid in in the board sports world, and so shy, introverted kid out in the countryside. Found uh, skateboarding and wakeboarding and snowboarding about the same time. 
uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so my community came out of out of that space. And, and uh, fortunately, later on, um, I found my way uh, back into that uh, community, uh, formerly in the industry working for Burton Snowboards. And it's kind of my first big career move. Started out in the sales team, but had a background in physics and material science and uh, ended up in working in manufacturing. Um, so I ended up in Asia for over a decade, helping U.S. brands, um, including Burton first, Skull Candy later, uh, with their manufacturing and product development. So my background is in product development manufacturing world. Um, that being the case, Pale Blue kind of came from a spark between my co-founder Steve and I um, a few years back when we recognized a kind of a convergence of the technology space along with uh, a market opportunity, um, but also along with a cultural, uh, what we term as cultural wave, um, kind of an old school candy term that that uh, there's this cultural wave happening. And then if a business can be on, on that wave and ride that wave, there's a lot of momentum behind you that allows you to um, get a little bit more traction a little bit faster, a little bit earlier. But primarily, um, this came out of a, a realization of a technology space where um, lithium ion batteries, thanks to the uh, thank you, Elon Musk and, uh, and all the good folks at Samsung and, and Apple, for their investments in the lithium ion battery space. So lithium ion batteries have been... Um, receiving a lot of R&D dollars. And then the, the miniaturization of electronics coming along with that. Um, basically those two things from a technology convergence um, have allowed for us to bring our products to market. Um, but the real realization of that along with um, perhaps what maybe is a generational shift um, or maybe it's just the, the culture and everything that's happening now, sustainability is, is more broadly recognized and and valued. And so this uh, convergence of technology and culture, uh, along with this opportunity of like, hey, no, no one uh, is moving on this right now. Maybe we can get there first. And Steve and I, our backgrounds are in bringing new technologies to, uh, to manufacture and wrapping them up and bring them to market. So, so that's kind of, kind of the, the deeper story. My, my connection back to like this community idea of like where I, where I started my roots in board sports leads into where the brand is going and where, where the brand is um, and, and how we want to work with customers and, and understand the market and, and service our customers. Um, but that, uh, that potentially would be a, a, a yeah, a deep, a deep tangent. We could go on <laughs> for sure. If we get into brand conversations. <laughs> Definitely. So let's talk about the product specifically itself. I know you spent a few years working on this with, with your business partner Um in developing the product and manufacturing and everything. And then you launch with a Kickstarter uh, campaign in, I believe it's uh, early 2019 or mid 2019. Um, and yeah, you raise a little over a quarter of a million dollars. What, what made you decide to start with a Kickstarter? Yeah, so Kickstarter launched uh, late August. We actually did Kickstarter, rolled that over Indiegogo, and we also did a, a crowdfunding in Japan called a Kibadango. And so altogether, uh, fortunately, it was over 400k um, dollars earned. I think the, you know the the um, lean startup method of getting a you know an MVP, minimum viable product to market, and getting feedback from the marketplace and consumers is is one that I, I take to heart. And so it, we we really did go back and forth on this strategy a lot. Like we can go Kickstarter route, or we can go venture capital, or we can just just uh, hack away at this ourselves for a couple of years. We knew some some money in the bank would help us accelerate um, not only product development, but brand development, um, operational setup, you know, silly things like paying for uh, EDI and, and, and 
data and you know spends that you don't necessarily uh, uh, want to <laughs> consider in the early days, you recognize that hey, these are coming. We're going to need some money in the bank. So rather than giving giving up part of the the business to venture capitalists or investors, said hey, let's keep control of this because we don't know exactly where we're going yet. And the, in the spirit of lean startup methodology, um, said hey, Kickstarter might be a great way to go get a lot of information and get a little capital to get some more inventory in. And then that'll be a place where we can launch from there. So Kickstarter was the plan. As we learn more about Kickstarter, Indiegogo in demand is a great place to roll your Kickstarter over and keep going on that. And, uh, you know, along with the backer kit tools, you can uh, turn a, a semi uh, successful Kickstarter, I would say, into a, a more successful raise altogether. Um, and so we just kept rolling that forward until, uh, you know, right up until the end of 2019. That's interesting. And maybe for the listener that doesn't know the difference between Kickstarter and Indiegogo, how, how exactly does that work? Like you obviously you started on Kickstarter, but then what's the benefit of using the other platforms after? Yeah, Indiegogo, they, they're different audiences. So primarily there's a marketing efficiency gain there where you, you have, you know, the Kickstarter audience who you're marketing to in the early days and you're trying to get some organic traffic as well. But uh, my experience is that you're primarily, if not almost entirely, uh, marketing directly to people who are in the Kickstarter audience. But once you get towards the end of your Kickstarter, Indiegogo has a, this in-demand um, uh, product offering that you can basically roll all of the your assets and everything directly into, and it's pretty seamless. Uh, we did work with an outside group to help us with that, but it's pretty seamless to roll it over. So basically, you just roll right into the Indiegogo, and now you have a whole new audience that you can market to, and you have all your assets that are built up from your your Kickstarter. So basically, it's, it's fairly seamless. Um, and it's another another thing to manage and um, another back end and another uh, amount of effort. But in terms of like saying, hey, like we did pretty good on Kickstarter. Let's go into Indiegogo. And although it's a smaller audience, uh, all the upfront investments there. And so we can just roll over and, and um, keep it going there. So That's interesting. And what did you find um, your target demographic? Who are you finding are the people that are buying your batteries? Are they a lot mostly like outdoorsy sort of? sustainability front of mind people or more broad? So this has been the most interesting thing uh, is trying to figure out this puzzle because uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't use batteries. Um, about 85% of the market is still single use. 15% of people are trying to do the right thing and, and use rechargeable batteries. Um, historically, rechargeable batteries don't really perform the way people want or expect. And so uh, it seems to have uh, reached a plateau at 15%. So we've been trying to figure out like, where do you start in the innovation adoption curve? You know, who are the innovators and early adopters and who's the uh, early majority and how, how do we then, cause we can't go market to everybody. Like um, there's this, yeah, if you market to everybody all at the same time, then your messaging is not gonna meet any, anyone where they are. And so um, we've been trying to figure out that puzzle. Uh, right now um, with, with the crowdfunding, let's just say for the crowdfunding example, um, there's a real sample bias here because people that are signing up for Kickstarter and Indiegogo generally are on the front of the innovation adoption curve anyways. And uh, innovation nowadays is tech focused. And so what we found in, in those audiences, hey, look, people that are concerned about technology and innovation are uh, buying our products, but that's sample bias coming out of those, those audiences. And so um, that's probably not representative of what we'll see as we continue to ramp up on digital. Um, and uh, it's probably not what we will, it's definitely not what we're targeting exactly from the brand standpoint. So um, our brand positioning and, and the things that we care about are around uh, 
you know, outdoor uh, activities and, and sustainability. And, you know, there's a, a layering on of a con- conversation around performance because lithium performs better than alkaline and nickel metal hydride batteries. There's all of that. Um, but what do people care about? The, the people that are willing to invest, uh, I would say a significant amount of money relative to what it would be to buy a disposable battery. What, you know, what do those people um, care about? In fact, economics is turning out to be a big lever in this conversation. So people who are saying, hey, I do care about performance and sustainability, but hey, there's actually like a good ROI on these batteries. If I buy these batteries, <laughs> I'm quickly going to be saving money and not, and not a little bit of money. If these batteries go into high use things, say, well, I've got a lot of children who use a lot of products that need batteries and those batteries seem to you know, get burned up very fast. Then their ROI is very fast. Or if you're using them in your uh, wireless mouse at your desk, um, if you're spending you know, a dollar per cell and there's two batteries in your wireless mouse and you're going through that, that mouse, you're, you're, you're dumping batteries into it every two to three months. Well, that's, that's quite a bit of money over the course of a year. And if you buy into this rechargeable battery solution, you go, Hey, I'm saving money after a couple months. And then I'm actually just putting money in my pocket and I don't have to run to the store. I don't have to stock up on these batteries. I don't have to worry about what happens when my mouse dies. I just pop them out, charge them real quick and pop them back in. So we're finding more people that care about economics. Um, or at least that's the conversion lever that's happening. So I, we don't have any psychographic or demographic information now that that says, "Hey, like this is the this is the segment in the market that's going to resonate." But we believe um, it's coming as the as it as the brand gets out there and the the recognition of the technology gets out there. I think sustainability-minded people will be the first to uh, to say, "Hey, whatever the investment is, I'm in because this is going to prevent a lot of waste." So. That's where we're headed. For sure. Now, I I guess my, I've got a few questions to follow up on this. The first is more so on the product itself. Um, I know a lot of people, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit uh, earlier, um, that when rechargeable batteries first came out, they weren't necessarily, um, uh, the quality wasn't high enough. The battery charge didn't last very long, weren't super reliable. How have you guys really addressed that um, with your product and what has it really been like developing it over time to make sure that the products and batteries that you guys do offer really do hold up, um, over time. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, like, I don't I want to give credit where credit's due. Like nickel metal hydride as a, as a chemistry is, is, is limited by its, its chemistry. It's not necessarily that the quality of the the batteries of the people who built those batteries didn't do their best with them and haven't continued to try to innovate on them, but there's some limitations with those. And so if we just simplify the world and say there's alkaline batteries, nickel metal hydride, which there are a variety of, and then there's lithium now, right? So alkaline, everyone knows because it's single use, right? It's ready to go. You can, you can count on it. You pull it out of your drawer. You bought it last year and you can, you can pull it out of wherever you might store them and, you, and you're pretty sure it's going to work, right? It's not, there's no real issues there, but when it's done, you've created, um, that amount of waste, right? And, and arguably, uh, depending who you ask, that waste is toxic waste. Um, and so you've got that solution, which is reliable. Um, performance is good, although there's one thing to note about alkaline, the power output, the voltage of a power comes with voltage, um, but the voltage of that alkaline battery goes down as you use it. So your headlamp, if you're out uh, backpacking in the morning, um, if your headlamp is is bright when you start, you know you might get a couple hours into your your hike and be like, oh, my batteries are dying. Well, they're not. They're just going down and down and down and down. Eventually, they will die, but you don't, you can't uh, guarantee that they're going to perform the same um, throughout. And you, and you might start to recognize that voltage drop in the performance of your product. Um, so nickel metal hydride has a similar issue in terms of performance on on the voltage side, 
but it also has a couple other issues. Number one, uh, as a rechargeable battery, it takes a long time to charge. Um, you got to give it often, you know, an overnight charge, 8, 10, 12 hours to charge up your batteries, which is uh, inconvenient. Say you're using them in your mouse at your desk. If you had to charge it for 10 or 12 hours, you know, that's that's a whole shift. So you got to kind of be prepared for these things. There, there's a, an issue with self-discharge with, with the nickel metal hydride chemistries, meaning that when you put them in a charge them up and you put them away or you leave them unused in your flashlight for a period of months. Uh, when you when you do turn your flashlight on a couple months later, it's not going to be very bright because the battery itself is losing is losing um, its charge over time just sitting there. And so and then we get to lithium. Go lithium. Okay. Lithium is actually a natural voltage of 3.7 volts. So it's already well above what the nominal voltage is in these other batteries of 1.5. So all your devices are designed to work with alkaline and then eventually nickel metal hydride. So those are generally looking for like 1.2 to 1.6, 1.7 volts of power. Well, we start out with lithium at 3.7 and then we step it down and we can hold it. We can pin it at 1.5. So when you turn your flashlight on at the beginning with fresh set of batteries, it's going to be as bright at the end of that discharge until it turns itself off. And so you've got a performance throughout the, the discharge that's identical. So you've got this, uh, basically your best performance all the way through. Um, and then you get into, hey, my battery eventually runs out and I want to um, recharge it. Or, hey, I'm going to be going on a, I don't know, a morning, I don't know, bike ride tomorrow or hike or whatever you might be doing. You go, hey, I don't know if these batteries are fully charged or not, but you can charge them uh, super fast. A AAA for us is under an hour, AA under two hours and go, hey, let me just charge it real quick. Make sure I'm starting out my day or my night with a full charge. And so the convenience factor of that compared to eight or 10 hour charge, but on top of that, you can charge it anywhere because with a micro USB port on it, plug it into your laptop, plug it into your car, plug it into your power bank. If you can find a micro USB cable or find ours, uh, which has four ends on it, you can charge four batteries at once. You can charge them up super fast on the go. And so you might be driving to the trailhead, charging your batteries and, and know that when you hit the trail, you are uh, ready to go with a full full charge. That's interesting. Can't do that with nickel metal hydride. Yeah. It's going to take you all night, and, and you need that charger, and you need an AC uh, outlet. You need to plug into your wall. So convenience now, factor is uh, totally different. Yeah, I had no idea. Now, with lithium, is there an issue with cold or heat in the battery holding its charge? Or and I guess it's not really even it's holding its charge, but its ability to deliver the power, or however it's been explained to me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to oversell lithium because there is a it does have self discharge properties. Um, all batteries do. Um, it's when you put any any object with some potential energy and leave it there, the universe will uh, bring entropy into play and you will start to lose some power. But but lithium generally performs better on a self discharge issue. Storing things at really cold temperatures or hot, uh, generally not as bad. But cycling them through hot and cold, hot and cold, like you were to leave them in your car, which happened to be uh, in the day, daytime in the sun and then at nighttime gets very cold, that will actually discharge a battery, any battery faster. But lithium has better properties in these, in these areas generally. So that's really interesting. That that's a your question. It's a good yeah, lesson uh, yeah, on, on all things batteries. <laughs> yeah. Operating temperatures can vary. Um, we're, we're good down to, I should, I should know these numbers better. Negative five, negative 10 degrees. I've tested products out in the winter here in park city down negative 10, negative 15 degrees and, and the batteries kept going. So but I think our operating temperature is, is stated at like negative 10 degrees and, and 
you know, up to a hundred and whatever. So, so in most environments <laughs> that someone would feel comfortable yeah, yeah, doing something. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So now over the time, over this time of you developing the product and then launching it and now running the business for um, a bit now, did you, have you had any mentors that have really helped you um, get through all of these hurdles? Yeah, I would say I don't have like a generalist mentor, like a business mentor at this at this stage, but I've got a lot of uh, advisor mentors who are like experts in their area. So if I need, you know, someone to bounce some ideas off around brand or design or go to market strategy or, uh, you know, even to get into the technology stuff, I have go to's who are who are trusted, you know. Uh, I have friends at, at some level, of course, but uh, at some level, like my most respected people. And, you know, like maybe it's the um, it's that friend piece and maybe it's, hey, this is a very important thing we're working on. Everyone wants to help. So I can I seem to be able to call up very busy uh, people uh, in there, uh, rightfully so busy with the things that they're doing and get get time to get uh, help when we need help. And so. We have some formal advisors who are, who are the, the best uh, experts that I can get in the, in the areas where I have the most weakness. Um, and then we have, you know, a network of, of mentor advisors who are just available to help the cause because we see this as an important opportunity to help the world a little bit more. Now that brings up, that's a perfect segue into my next question, talking specifically about sustainability. And I know that's really the main uh, ethos of Pale Blue Earth. Talk to me a little bit about sort of your thought process here and really the the main mission for pale blue earth yeah so i i think i think i'm correct in this statement i don't think this is controversial i think this category is coming no matter what i do or what anyone does this category is obvious from a performance convenience economics standpoint that in five or ten years everyone will be using lithium-ion rechargeable batteries and single-use batteries will go away. That being the case, our job is to make sure that um, we catalyze that to happen as fast as possible because it has meaningful results in terms of the amount of waste that we can prevent in the meantime. But it also means, as a brand, how do we steward this category shift from what is, you know, historically been a tech commodity kind of um, category segment in 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 the marketplace? You know, like who stops to think about batteries too much? You go to the store and you're like, oh. Brand A, B, or C. If you, I don't know, this one looks like it's, I like this color today, or this price, or this one. <laughs> right, has the, right, right. Has the right quantity, right? It's like it's it's total commoditized um, situation. And, and if I learned one thing from my days at Skull Candy is that um, a commoditized market uh, with some really important innovation uh, can result in important shift and, and important opportunity. So my hope would be that Pell Blue Earth and, and the things that we care about could lead the lead the way and set the, set the bar pretty high in terms of what we care about. We don't want, uh, I think it would be unfortunate if someone came into the space, saw the opportunity and was only there to care about selling the features and the product itself, as opposed to trying to channel this category shift into something good, you know, and that good maybe uh, we're channeling it back into 1% for the planet. We've made donations to protect our winners. We're looking at other conservation um, means by which we can channel uh, not only our energy, but dollars into uh, sustainability and conservation projects, efforts, programs, and organizations. And so if we can do it, we can then channel that. Um, and if we let someone else have this marketplace, we don't know what their motivation is, what they care about. It might just be um, 
commodity thinking and profits for investors and gross margin for uh, for their own pockets. So I don't I don't know uh, what other people will do with it, but I know what we will do with it, and uh, I think that uh, what I care about and and what our what our team about is that we do do some good with this opportunity. It's not often you have an opportunity where the confluence of technology, opportunity, and culture all come together. And so uh, this may be a once in a, a lifetime or at least a once in a career opportunity to do some real good. Um, I'll go back to like um, my days at, at Burton. What was Burton trying to do? Well, Burton was trying to channel like this activity into fun. Fun, um, you know, is, is meaningful for a person. It's meaningful for a family or a group of friends. It's meaningful for a community to come together and, and share that. And so I think that's really important. What I recognized when I went to Skull Candy and I had to leave Burton Snowboards, my dream employer and dream company to work for. I had to leave them to go to Skull Candy. But what I, what I recognized at Skull Candy um, in that opportunity was Skull Candy had this team of hundreds of, of action sports people and even out into motorsports and things too. It was like it was flowing product and paying for competition fees and, and supporting this community that I cared about. But it was channeling an entire marketplace of people who cared about music and had ears. So anyone that cares about music and ears could then support the community that I cared about. And so my, my philosophy ever since, and, and I could, I could tie this up in a nice bow and talk about outlet when I worked for outlet baby care. Um, but when you, when you have an opportunity to channel some good into a community that you participate in and care about, man, that's a sweet spot. That's a beautiful thing. You know? So we're, we're trying to do just that and not leave the opportunity open for someone who who will come along and try to uh, just sell you this product and uh, keep the money and you'll get a good product and you'll, you'll be doing better than you would have been doing if you were using single use batteries. But can we do the maximum amount of good with this opportunity? I think, I think pale blue earth can be that company. So now let's, let's talk about the the specifics. Um, so maybe the listener can really wrap their head around um, sort of the amount of waste that comes out from single use batteries um, do you sure. do you know sort of the figures off off the top of your head of really what the total amount of waste is that you know as a planet we produce every year by using single use batteries? Yeah, I, I, at one point I created a spreadsheet and tried to like create a visual a way that we could visualize what this is. But let's start with the hard numbers for a second. In the U.S., it's 10 million batteries a day, and so that's primarily driven by AA and AAA batteries. Um, but that's a lot of batteries. I think it was something to the tune of 72,000 pounds of batteries a day or something like that. It's an immense that's number. That's insane. It's four, or five, yes, four or five billion batteries a year. That's just the US. It's something to the order of 40 billion dry cell batteries a year globally. Um, and so. And those aren't being massive. recycled, correct? Like they're, they just sort of end up in a landfill in a place and yeah. that's it. Good, good. I would ask everyone that's listening to this, just gut check where, where your battery is going. Um, chances are they're going into a bag, a box, a drawer somewhere when you're done and your intention is good, which is like, I'm going to take these to the recycler. At some point you do or you don't. Um, the average person walking down the street or in an airplane swapping out their batteries and their noise canceling headphones, they may or may not have the, uh, that um, opportunity to recycle them and they may end up in the trash. A lot of them are ending up in landfills. Only the EU and California uh, that I'm currently aware of um, have categorized uh, alkaline batteries and, and rechargeable batteries as toxic waste and requiring them to be disposed of properly. So uh, it's uh, in, the, in some places it's okay to actually just toss them in the trash and toss them in the landfill. Uh, we, dis we disagree vehemently, but 
that is the case. So we know a lot of them are going in the landfill, but even if they're going into recycling, um, some studies that I've read and I haven't haven't found any of recent, but of you know five six year old studies on this uh, topic said that there's no real energy um, positive way to recycle batteries. Meaning that when you want, go to recycle a battery, the amount of energy that you have to put into the process of recycling is not recoverable at the end of the process. So you're doing it for the right reasons, but you're spending more energy into the process of recycling than you're getting out. So that at least you're not throwing the the, the batteries in the landfill and you're getting something out, you're getting some materials and, and usable energy out, but you're actually putting a lot more energy in. So this is a, this is a current discussion in the recycling world. And it's, it's a very uh, challenging one to conceive of because I still recycling and still separating my stuff, but there's a, there's a, there's a new bit of information out there that says, wow, this recycling thing isn't, isn't as good. So if you can prevent the need to throw away or recycle just by, um, having a product that you can reuse over and over and over again. So I'm looking at my Mizu water bottle right here. I've got two years on this water bottle and uh, I've drank hundreds and hundreds, thousands of bottles of water out of it. And, and theoretically, uh, I might be able to use that for another 10 or 20 years. By having that water bottle, how much waste did I prevent going in the landfill, uh, going into recycling centers, all of that. Multi-use products, hands down, are just a better solution. Solution. And so uh, there's one uh, nickel metal hydride, yeah, 500 cycles out of it if you can trust its performance and, and deal with the performance and convenience issues. But lithium, a thousand cycles. So that would mean one lithium battery could use it and use it and use it a thousand times would prevent the existence of a thousand. So that 10 million number divided by a thousand. And so we can reduce the amount of waste by a thousand fold, theoretically, if we can get everyone to switch over from single-use batteries. You know, those are, it's hard to imagine someone using a battery a thousand times. That's going to sure. take a long yeah. time and a lot of use. But, uh, but even if the, you cut it in concept. half, like you cut up 10 million, yeah, and 5 million, you, and like you're clearly like, oh, that's a <laughs> huge improvement. Even if it's 100. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so um, um, our, our, product, our products are rated to a thousand cycles. If you were using the product, I don't know, say you were a bike commuter and you biked to work in the dark and, and you had a long bike ride and you used it every day, it would still take you three years to get through that battery to get a thousand uses out of it. You know, so you saved yourself $996 or whatever, $995. But like, uh, you also save the world 999 batteries from existing, which is, which is good. So it's, it's kind of weird to say we're a battery company that wants you to buy fewer batteries, but that's precisely what we are. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It's, uh, it, it's something you don't really think about. Um, just in your day-to-day -day, like anything really all the stuff that you buy you don't really realize um its impact on a mass scale when 330 million people are doing the same thing <laughs> or billions mm -hmm. of people when you count the whole world um yep. so i, I want to talk about sort of uh challenges that you've faced in building the business what would you say have been some of the hardest parts about getting pale blue earth off the ground and, and running uh, you know, some of the business decisions around our strategy, uh, that one that we mentioned earlier around like Kickstarter versus investment versus go at it on our own. Those are hard decisions to make because you go like, hey, I'm going to make a decision now that's going to affect our trajectory for years. It's kind of kind of important and we kind of need to make sure that it's going to be successful because we really care about what we're about to embark on. That was that was a pretty hard back and forth for a few months on that one, actually. Um, but once we did decide, hey, let's let's try this crowdfunding thing. We've never done it. Have a lot of friends who've done it and we can get a lot of uh, advice from from good people um that was 
that was good. The decision uh, flowed easily, but the execution of a Kickstarter for um, a group of people who are generally product and manufacturing and operations people um, with good sales marketing brand people around us. Um, but, you know, like the core team at that point was was more operational than, than brand and go to market. So that was really challenging for us to kind of piece that together. And, and uh, we're still at that point selling the vision to get, you know, free help from people. But uh, that was a, a challenging period of time to kind of go through getting that Kickstarter up and running, executing on it and taking uh, the best care of all the Kickstarter backers as we can. And then probably the hardest part on the back end of that has been global logistics for the Kickstarter. We got people in, uh, yeah, you name the country. Um, some of these countries are easy to fulfill too. Some have been very challenging. Some are um, really challenging. Uh, you, you've got... Uh, a regulated product from a transportation standpoint that that needs to go by ground oh, interesting. going by ground to, to western australia it turns yeah. out to be harder or to go to, to small countries in uh eastern europe and in africa has been some some challenges so um the big and easy ones have been big and easy and the other ones are like uh yeah we still continue to these day to this day to try to find a local logistics solution for some of these countries rather than giving up and giving a refund which we could do it's like hey Thanks for your support. We haven't been able to ship your batteries. Like we just keep, we're not willing to give up and we just keep going after a, trying to find a way to get their batteries. And sometimes, you know, like stateside shipping these batteries might be relatively cheap, but sometimes you're doing ground transportation in a, in a country that's pretty far away and you get a quote that's like three times of four times what the product cost you. And you go, oh man, we uh, didn't see that coming. So that's been challenging, uh, but uh, man, we're not going to give up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm sure you never thought that that would be a problem <laughs> when you finished the no, Kickstarter I, campaign. I didn't. I think we, we have come up, yeah, as, as you do, you, you learn along the way. And we found some solutions that would have been nice to know about six months ago. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you, live in, you live and you learn. And <laughs> exactly. That's, that's Life is works. a good teacher. For sure. Now, I want to ask you specifically, um, for a listener that maybe wants to start a business um, related to the outdoor space, technology company, uh, obviously for you, um, one of the main reasons for starting Peril Blue Earth is the environmental impact that you can make by building this business. So for someone who is environmentally conscious and does care about the planet, what would you suggest, um, like what kind of advice would you give to them um, in starting their own business? with that focus? Yeah, I think I th I, people are probably, this is a contentious statement. I'll just say that. Um, I think there's a, a bias that when someone sees a product that's being sold as a sustainability solution, that there's a few thoughts that go through your mind to go, that's a good idea, but it's going to be a little bit more expensive than the, the other option that I have. And it's not going to be as durable. The question now is, am I willing to spend my money on something that's not quite as good, but has a better purpose and is a better option for the planet. And so you go, am I going to invest my extra two, three, four, five, 10, 20, or, you know, get into electric vehicles, my extra 20, 30, $50,000 above what I could do right now today with the money that I have today, or am I going to say, oh, let me just prioritize uh, financial stability for my family or, or, uh, you know, uh, it's going to put that off a little bit longer. So I think if you're going to go into product or, or create a new product or brand or business around sustainability, this is, this is a hard thing. This is maybe um, a challenge to everybody. Find something that not only performs better, um, but can can withstand the 
um, scrutiny of a, of a customer who has limited dollars to spend. So it needs to perform better. It needs to be better. It needs to last longer than the option uh, that may be available using, you know, uh, whatever commodity, non-environmentally friendly material that they happen to find. And so your customer then has multiple reasons to, to make the investment. Wow, this performs better. The economics are better for me in the long run. It might be a little bit more money on the front end, but the economics are better. And if they can put a brand behind something that has multiple layers of, of improvement um, for the customer and for the world, and they could put a brand behind that and in, in an in a ethos behind that and maybe actions behind that that says, hey, not only is this uh, an investment in my world as a consumer and, and the products that I need for myself or my family, but it's also an investment in this company who's out there putting money into um, sustainability broadly is doing things from uh, innovation and a creativity standpoint to channel that business into into a better good. Go, hey, I'm investing in this product, but I'm also investing in these guys. Um, I look at, uh, uh, well, it's not name brands, but I'm really inspired by by the guys over at Protect Our Winners right now, um, how much they have done to, to channel what they're doing into good and, and, and become a trusted place for people to invest their dollars into something they believe in. So I think if you can be a brand that people can invest their dollars into being involved in and in, in investing in, in making change, and you you get ultimately you get your your need met as a consumer of what you're looking whatever problem you're trying to solve. I think if you can do that, you're off to the you're off to the races. Short of that, you're you're going to have a hard time convincing people and that your product is worth the investment because maybe it's not going to last as long. You have to buy buy another one later or revert back to the old commodity product. Yeah, I think those are really good points. Um, and luckily, we're in a time where technology is progressing enough where there are new things that we can um, apply technology and improvement to industries that can then make them more sustainable. And the batteries is a perfect example of that. Um, so I'm definitely intrigued to see what you guys do going forward with Pell Blue Earth and really all the other sorts of businesses that kind of come up um, in your wake uh going in the next five, 10 years and see what else we can cut back in terms of waste um, and focus really more on sustainability. But with that, Tom, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your story and the story of Pale Blue Earth. And for anyone that's listening to this, you can actually head over to readyyeti.com for your chance to win um, some rechargeable batteries from Pale Blue Earth. And um, yeah, with that, Tom, thanks again for, for coming on the show. Well, thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. It's been a, it's been great, and I wish you the best of luck through the uh, current situation. Likewise, and uh, yeah, stay safe and uh, uh, keep going after those masks and uh, everything that our our healthcare workers and everyone needs. Definitely making a great impact. Thanks, man. We're doing our best here. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.